Section sixty one of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part sixty one. Of the Street Sellers of Tinware. The sellers of tins, who carry them under their arms, or in any way on a round, apart from the use of a vehicle, are known as hand sellers. The word hand-seller is construed by the street traders as meaning literally hand-seller, that is to say, a seller of things held or carried in the hand, but the term is clearly derived from the Scotch hansel, as in hansel penny. Hansel, according to Jameson, the Scotch etymologist, means, one, the first money that a trader receives for goods, also a gift conferred at a particular season, two, a piece of bread given before breakfast. Ire, the Gothic lexicographer, views the term hansel as having sprung from the Meso-Gothic hunsla, sacrifice or offering. This is the same as the Anglo-Saxon husl, the Eucharist, whence comes the English housel and unhouseled, and he considers the word to have originally meant a gift or offering of any kind. Hence, the hand-sellers of tin and other wares in the street would mean simply those who offered such tin or other wares for sale. The goods they dispose of are dripping pans, sometimes called square pans, sold at from threepence to eighteen pence, the threepenny pans being six inch and the eighteen penny fifteen inch, calendars, sixpence to ninepence, handbowls for washerwomen, one shilling, now a very small portion of the trade, roasting jacks with tin bodies sixpence to one shilling and sixpence this used to be the best article for profit and ready sale in the trade but they're going out of date and the smaller articles of graters and so on the hand sellers also trade in other articles which are less portable the principal sale however is at stands and there chiefly on a saturday night the great business time of street commerce these less portable articles are tea kettles tenpence to eighteen pence saucepans of all sizes the smallest being the open pints at tuppence or tuppence halfpenny each they cost them twenty pence a dozen it's a bargain to get them at eighteen pence and the largest the nine quart but the kinds most in demand are the three pints and two quarts sold at sixpence and eightpence there are also fish kettles in this street traffic though to a very limited extent one fish kettle i was told to four and twenty saucepans the selling price for the fish kettles is five shillings and three shillings and sixpence each candlesticks are sold at fourpence to one shilling and shaving pots fourpence a few tin things used to be sold at the mews but the trade is now almost entirely abandoned these were tins for singeing horses two shillings and sixpence each when first introduced ten or twelve years ago but now one shilling and stable lanterns of punched tin which cannot be sold now for more than one shilling each though they cost ten shillings per dozen at a tin shop there are other tin articles vended in the streets but they will be more properly detailed in my account of street artisans as the maker and the street seller are the same individual among these are dutch ovens which are rarely offered now by those who purchase their goods at the tin shops as the charge there is sixpence why said a working tin man to me 
i've had tenpence many a week for making ovens and the stuff found it takes two plates of tin to make an oven that's threepence at any tin shop before a minute's labour is given to it and yet the men who hawk their own goods sell their ovens regularly enough at fourpence it's the ruin of the trade the tin shops i may observe supply the artisans with the materials they require as well as the ready-made articles to the street seller one of the largest street stands in tin is in st john street clerkenwell on saturday evenings but the proprietor pertains to the artisan class though he buys some of his goods at the tin shops the hand sellers of tin are about one hundred in number and sixty of that number may be said to be wives and children of the remaining forty as the majority of the itinerant vendors of tinware are married men with families tins are not a heavy carriage and can very well be borne from house to house by women while children sell such things as nutmeg graters pepper boxes extinguishers and savalls those who sell the larger tin articles in the streets are generally the makers of them a dozen years back or more perhaps there was i was informed some prime block tin teapots sold in the streets there's none now metals drove out tin among the street tin sellers i heard many complaints of the smallness and the constantly diminishing rate of their earnings our people has bad luck too said one man or they isn't wide awake you may remember sir that a few weeks back a new save all came in and was called candle wedges and went off well it was a tin thing and ought by rights to have been started by the tin shops for us but it was first put out by the swagmen at three shillings the gross the first and second days the men were soon sold out them as could patter tidy did the best i tried but you see sir i'm no scholar well they went at night to mr blank's in houndsditch i think it is and he says i'm out of them but i'll have some in the morning they goes in the morning and the swag says oh i can't afford them at three shillings you can have them at four he puts one shilling extra on the gross cause they sold nothing else sir and a relation of mine heard the swag shopkeeper say why they're cheap at four jim the street seller there made three shillings and threepence on em yesterday i ain't a-goin to slave and pay rent and rates and taxes to make your fortins it ain't likely you see sir they was sold at a halfpenny each and cost a farthing which is threepence a dozen and so the swag got a higher profit while the poor fellows had to sell for less profit from the most reliable information which i could acquire it appears that these tin sellers taken altogether do not earn above six shillings a week each as regards the adult men and half that as regards the children and women to realize this amount the adults must take thirteen shillings and the women and children seven shillings for the latter are less priced down thus if we calculate an average receipt per individual of ten shillings weekly reckoning one hundred sellers we find a yearly expenditure on tins bought in the street of two thousand five hundred pounds the trade is greatest in the suburbs and some men who have become known on their rounds supply houses by order with all the tins they require there is a branch of the tin trade carried on in a way which i have shown prevailed occasionally among the costermongers namely the selling of goods on commission this system is now carried on among all the parties who trade from swag barrows the word swag which has been so often used in this work of late is like many other of the street terms of scotch origin as hand seller and busker the scotch word is swig 
or swack and means according to jamieson a quantity a considerable number a large collection of any kind the root appears to be an ancient german term swag a flock a herd hence a swag warehouse is a warehouse containing a large collection of miscellaneous goods and a swag barrow a barrow laden with a considerable assortment of articles the slang term swag means booty plunder that is to say the collection of goods the lot the heap stolen of these swag barrowmen there are not less than one hundred and fifty and the barrows are mostly the property of three individuals who are not street sellers themselves one of these men has fifty barrows of his own and employs fifty men to work them the barrow proprietor supplies not only the vehicle but the stock and the men's remuneration is threepence in the shilling on the amount of sales each article they sell is charged to the public one penny the tinwares of the swag barrows are nutmeg graters bread graters beer warmers fish slices goblets mugs savalls extinguishers candle shades money boxes children's plates and rattles in addition to the tinwares the swag barrows are stocked with brooches rings pot ornaments plates small crockery ware toys and so on each article being also vended at one penny the trade is so far stationary that the men generally confine themselves to one neighbourhood if not to one street the majority of the swag barrowmen have been costermongers and nearly the whole have been engaged in street avocations all their lives one man familiar with the trade thought i might state that the whole were of this description for though there was lately a swag barrowman who had been a tradesman in an extensive way there was he believed no such exception at the present time these barrowmen are nearly all uneducated and are plodding and persevering men though they make few exertions to better their condition as the barrow and stock are supplied to them without any outlay on their part their faculties are not even sharpened as among many of the costermongers by the necessity of providing stock money and knowing how to bargain and buy to advantage they have merely to sell their commission furnishes little or nothing more than the means of a bare subsistence the great sale is on saturday nights at the street markets and to the working people who then crowd those places and as one said to me has a few pennies to lay out at such times as much as three pounds has been taken by a swag barrowman during the other days of the week their earnings are small it is considered a first-rate week and there must be all the facilities for street trade afforded by fine weather to take two shillings a day clearing sixpence and three pounds on a saturday night this gives the swag barrowman a commission of eighteen shillings but i am informed by competent persons that the average of the weekly profits of these street traders does not exceed ten shillings a week this shows a yearly receipt by the men working the barrows of three thousand nine hundred pounds as their profit or payment and a gross receipt of eleven thousand seven hundred pounds of this large amount nearly two-thirds i am assured is expended on tinwares the prime cost at the tin shops of these wares to the barrow proprietors are seven shillings and seven shillings and sixpence the gross leaving from a penny halfpenny to twopence profit on every shilling over the threepence commission paid to the salesman the tins are all made in london the jewellery and other stock of the swag barrows are bought at the general swag shops of which i have before spoken
of the life of a tinware seller the following street biography was communicated to me in writing it is i believe a striking instance of the vicissitudes and privations to which a street life is subject it forms moreover a curious example of those moral contradictions which make the same individual at one time give way hopelessly to the force of circumstances and at another resolutely control them my object says my correspondent for writing this what some folks no doubt will call a nonsensical epistle is merely to show how much human nature is capable of enduring in the shape of privations people in easy circumstances will scarcely credit what i am about to relate and many of the poor will smile at what i have termed hardships and at my folly in endeavouring to paint the misery i have endured which will appear slight when compared to what they themselves have suffered i am the son of a mechanic who was accidentally drowned some weeks previous to my birth my mother through industry and perseverance endeavoured to support me and my sister till we arrived at the ages of fifteen and eighteen i being the younger i entered a gentleman's service as pantry boy where i continued until i considered myself competent to take a higher situation still a servant's life was not the bent of my inclinations martial music and viewing soldiers on parade made me think that a rifle was a more graceful tool than a toasting fork i resolved to serve his majesty and for that purpose enlisted in the sixtieth rifles on the route for india but providence ordained it otherwise on the afternoon on which i enlisted i fell by accident and broke my leg and as i was not sworn in i was entitled to no pension i was six months confined to my bed and it was three years before i could go without my crutch grief for my misfortunes had borne my mother to an early grave and i was left a cripple and destitute whether by design or accident i do not recollect but i met with the lady note, lady m blank, end note, in whose service i first entered as pantry boy she took pity on my forlorn condition and kindly invited me to her mansion where i remained until completely restored to health but still crippled after this i was employed painting and glassing and so on and considering myself competent to get my living in that line i resolved to go to london the theatre of all my misery to come for i was disappointed on reaching the metropolis my paintbrush was turned into a shovel my paint-pot into a dust-sieve for i could only get employed by a man to work in a dust-yard at ten shillings a week from thence i went to a firm belonging to a friend at beckenham near croydon as working timekeeper or foreman but during a fair in that village i neglected to back the time and being discharged was cast upon the world again with only three shillings in my pocket which i eat and drank up having no idea of street trading then came my trials but having had sufficient food during the day i did not feel much the effects of my first night in the streets the next day i had no food and towards dusk began bitterly to feel my situation that night i slept or rather lay in an empty house towards noon of the next day i felt weak and drank large quantities of water for i had no particular desire for food passing by a shop where old clothes were offered for sale i saw a man wretched in appearance disposing of an old vest for a few pence i caught the malady and was instantly spoiled of my coat having received in exchange for it two shillings and an old frock such as are generally worn by wagoners or countrymen i more than once smiled at my novel appearance a penny loaf a drink of water and a threepenny lodging was the first assault on my two shillings i regretted however the threepence paid for my lodging and determined not to risk another 
for my bedfellows were so numerous and of such teasing propensities that they would not allow me to sleep truly indeed is it said that poverty makes us acquainted with strange bedfellows at this time i formed an acquaintance with a man whose condition was similar to my own he engaged to put me fly to a dodge or two an explanation from him was necessary to make me acquainted with the sense of his words which i soon found simply meant artful manoeuvres one of these dodges was to snooze note a term for sleeping end note in the adelphi arches i felt grateful for such a mark of disinterested friendship and next day my friend and me fared sumptuously on the produce of my coat and at night we repaired to the arches in question and there found a comfortable lodging in a hayloft i lay for some time but did not sleep i was several times addressed by my companion in an undertone are you asleep he whispered ain't it a stunning doss note which means a good bed end note i was not in a mood for conversation and made no reply to silence him completely i affected to snore and this had the desired effect for a few minutes he was quite quiet and then he commenced with great caution to unlace my boots with a view to stealing them i perceived his object and immediately left my lodging and companion i felt grieved and disappointed at the loss of one in whom i placed all confidence but this time wisdom was purchased cheaply inasmuch as i suffered no loss except that my money might have lasted me a little longer the remainder of that night i strayed about the strand and charing cross after a drink of water i took a seat on a curb surrounding the pump many wretched beings came and seated themselves beside me and a conversation ensued respecting their several destinations during the day one proposed going to hungerford market to do a feed on decayed shrimps or other offal laying about the market another proposed going to covent garden to do a tightener of rotten oranges to which i was humorously invited i accepted the invitation and proceeded with my new companion i fared well i filled my hat took a seat and made a most delicious breakfast i remained strolling about the garden all day and towards evening was invited by my companions to a doss in an open shed in islington this i declined alleging that i had a lodging but that night i slept amongst a heap of stones near the pillar at charing cross i continued to attend the garden for several weeks subsisting entirely on the offal of that market one day i took notice of a man there selling chestnut leaves i inquired how he obtained them he told me he plucked them from the trees without hindrance and directed me to where i could obtain some i went to a grove in the vicinity of kilburn and lay there all night next morning i found no leaves so i returned disappointed to town and on going through the market a woman employed me to carry a bushel of pears some little distance for her for a penny i felt quite elevated in anticipation of such a treat as a penny loaf but alas i fell down under the weight of the fruit and poverty my employer however kindly gave me the penny though some of her pears were injured and i had not taken them half the required distance with the money i purchased a loaf and sat on a stone near the pump in covent garden and began my meal here i soon had a companion who after rinsing a lettuce at the pump began to devour it i shared my loaf with him oh god said he what are we destined to suffer i've escaped the bullets of the carlists in spain to die in the streets of london with hunger i felt an interest in the poor fellow who i discovered in the course of conversation had been a gentleman's servant in his time he assured me he had been living in the same way for several weeks as i myself had been towards night my companion asked me where i slept i told him my different haunts and he told me i had better go to the straw yard with him 
this was a place i had not yet heard of it was the nightly refuge for the houseless poor i accompanied him without hesitation my confidence was not misplaced i slept there several nights bread was distributed to us night and morning and this was fortunate for the garden began to fail in the course of conversation with some of the inmates of the refuge we found that we could obtain employment at stone-breaking this we tried the next morning and succeeded we worked all day and received sixpence each on leaving work we then made up our minds to go to lodgings that we might have an opportunity of washing what were once shirts misery had not had that wasting influence on my companion as it had on me i was at this time a complete skeleton a puff of wind would cause me to stagger i continued stone-breaking but about noon of the third day i sunk exhausted on the heap of stones before me poverty had done its work and i anticipated with pleasure approaching dissolution i was assisted to my lodging by my companion and went to bed when the woman at the lodging-house discovered that i was ill she ordered some of her domestics to dress me and put me in the street alleging that she was under a penalty of twenty pounds were it discovered that she lodged a sick stranger i was therefore cast into the street at twelve o'clock at night my companion then gave me the threepence he had earned that day to procure me a lodging if possible and he slept in the streets the remainder of the night i went to another lodging concealing as much as possible my illness my money was taken and i was conducted to bed i spent a wretched night and next morning i was very bad the landlady led me to the workhouse i was admitted directly had they detained me asking questions i should have sunk on the floor my disorder was pronounced english cholera i lay three weeks in a precarious state but at the end of seven weeks was recovered sufficiently to walk about i was then discharged but on going towards the abbey in westminster i fainted and on recovery found myself surrounded by a number of persons i was advised to return to the house i did so and was admitted for a short time after which i was again discharged but i received outdoor relief twice a week and for some time a small portion of bread and cheese as well i had now lost not only all hope but even desire of bettering my condition during these trials i made none acquainted with my privations save those situated as i was i now altered my condition as regards sleeping i walked about during the night and slept a portion of the day on a heap of sand near westminster bridge i then remembered to have a poor relative in kensington i did not plead distress but merely asked whether she knew where i might procure employment i had a cup of tea the first i had tasted since i was in the workhouse a period of five weeks being asked some questions by my relative i could not help making reference to some of my sufferings at this place i found a young man of whom i had had a previous acquaintance i told him of my inability to procure a lodging and he allowed me without the knowledge of his parents to sleep in the stable loft the bed was hard but the coal sacks kept me warm here i had many opportunities of earning a few pence and i began to regain my spirits on one occasion seeing a lad ill-treated by a young man who was much his superior in size and strength i interposed and it may be conjectured in what manner this circumstance procured me a friend for with the assistance of the lad i had protected i was enabled to live tolerably well and after a short while i got a situation at a coal shed at ten shillings a week i continued in this place eighteen months but my master giving up the business i was again cast on the world i then began to think seriously of some way of living and for the first time asked for the loan of fifteen shillings with this i purchased a few articles of furniture laid out seven shillings and sixpence for two hundred of oranges 
with which I walked and hawked about two days, taking but fourpence during the time. I disposed of the remainder of my stock wholesale for six shillings. With this I purchased a small tin saucepan, a piece of marble slab, and commenced sugar boiling. I retailed my manufacture in the streets. By dint of perseverance and economy I managed to live this way through the winter and a portion of the spring, but summer being now come, people needed none of my compounds to warm their mouths, so it was necessary for me to change my hand. What should I do? Thoughts came and vanished at their births. I recollected having seen a person selling rings at a penny each. I made up my mind to try the same. I laid out five shillings in a tray and stock. After arranging the goods to the best advantage, I sallied into the streets. The glittering baubles took for a while, but when discoloured were useless. Having once a considerable stock of these soiled rings, I was prompted to begin lot-selling. After calculating the profits, I commenced selling in that line. As this continued for seven weeks, I managed to get a living. The system then became general. Every street in the metropolis contained a lot-seller, so I was determined to change my hand. One day in the street, I saw a girl with a bundle of old umbrellas going towards a marine store shop. I asked if the umbrellas were for sale. She replied in the affirmative. The price she asked was fourpence. I became a purchaser. With these old umbrellas I commenced a new life. I bought some trifling tools necessary for repairing umbrellas, and, after viewing well the construction of the articles, I commenced operations. I succeeded, and in a little time could not only mend an old umbrella but make a new one. This way of living I followed three years. In one of my walks through the streets crying old umbrellas to sell, I saw a street tinker repairing a saucepan. He seemed so very comfortable with his fire-pan before him that I resolved from that moment to become a tinker, and for that purpose I bought a few tools, prepared a budget, and sallied into the streets with as much indifference as if I had been at the business since my birth. After a little practice, I fancied I was fit for better things than mending old saucepans, and flattered myself that I was able to make a new one. This I resolved to attempt, and succeeded so well that I at once abandoned the rainy-day system and commenced manufacturing articles in tinware, such as are now sold in the streets, namely funnels, nutmeg-graters, penny-mugs, extinguishers, slices, savals, and so on. I soon became known to the street-sellers and swag-shop proprietors. The prices I get are low and I am deficient in some of the tools necessary to forward the work with the required speed to procure returns adequate to my expenses. But, thanks to the Lord, I am better off than ever I expected to be, with the difference only of a somewhat shattered constitution. There are many at the present day suffering as I have done, and they may be found in and about the different markets of the metropolis. Of the Street Sellers of Dog Colours of these street traders there are now regularly twelve. One man counted to me fourteen, but two of these only sold dog colours occasionally, when they could not get employment in their trade as journeyman brass founders. Of the regular hands, one, two, and sometimes three sell only dog collars, with the usual adjuncts of locks and sometimes chains and key rings, but even these, when their stock money avails, prefer uniting to the collars some other trifling article. Two of the most profitable pitches for the sale of these articles are in the neighbourhood of the old Swan Pier, off Thames Street, and at a corner of the bank. Neither of these two traders confines his stock to dog-collars, though they constitute the most valuable portion of it. 
the one sells in addition to his collars key-rings keys and chains dog whistles stamps with letters engraved upon them printer's type in which any name or initials may be set up shaving brushes trouser straps razors and a few other light articles the other sells little more than dog articles with the addition of brass padlocks and small whips but the minor commodities are frequently varied according to the season and to the street seller's opinion of what may sell some of these traders hang their wares against the rails of any public or other building in a good situation where they can obtain leave others have stalls with a back from the corners of which hang the strings of dog collars one linked within another the manner in which one street seller displays his wares is shown in the illustration before given of the whole number half are either itinerant on a round or walk up and down a thoroughfare and an adjacent street or two dog collars said one man is no good at saturday night markets people have said to me for i was flat enough to try once dogs i've hardly grub enough for the kids for all that sir some poor people has dogs and is very fond of them too ay and i've sold them collars but seldom i think it's them as has no children as dogs the collars most in demand are brass one man pointed out to me the merits of his stock which he retailed from sixpence each for the very small ones to three shillings for collars seemingly big enough for pyrenean sheepdogs some of the street sold collars have black and red rims and linings others are of leather often scarlet stitched ornamentally over a sort of jointed iron or wire work a few are of strong compact steel chain work but them's more the fashion said one seller for sporting dogs like pointers and greyhounds and is very seldom bought in the streets it's the pet dogs as is our best friends the dog sellers have as regards perhaps one half been connected in their youth with some mechanical occupation in metal manufacture for i am told are or were pensioners to a small amount as soldiers or sailors some further particulars of the business will be found in the following statement given me by a man in the trade he was sickly looking seemed dispirited at first but to recover his spirits as he conversed and spoke with a provincial i presume a warwickshire or staffordshire accent i served my time sir my relations put me for my parents died when i was a boy to a harness furniture maker in Walsall, note walsall end note who supplied mr dixon a saddler's ironmonger in a good way i had fair makings and was well treated and when i was out of my time i worked for another master and i then found i could make my pad terrets note the round loops of the harness pad through which the reins are passed End note. my hooks my buckles my ornaments some of them crests as well as any man i worked only in brass never plated but sometimes the body for plating and mostly terrets and hooks thinking i'd better myself i came to london i was between five and six weeks before i got a stroke of work and my money had gone i found that london harness-makers and coach-makers names was put on walsall-made goods and london-made and town-made was put too they might be as good but they wasn't town-made no more nor i am i can't tell what i suffered and felt and thought as at last i walked the streets i was afraid to call at any brass workers for i can do many sorts of brass work i was so shabby i called once at mr a 
near smithfield and he or his foreman perhaps it was said to me give that tug buckle a file i'd had nothing to eat but an apple i found in the street that day and my hands trembled and so he told me that drunkards with trembling hands wouldn't do there i was never a drinking man and at that time hadn't tasted so much as beer for ten days my landlady i paid her a shilling a week for half a bed with a porter trusted me my rent cause i paid her when i had it but i walked about nervous and trembling and frightened at every sudden sound no sir i've stood looking over a bridge but though i may have thought of suicide i never once had really a notion of it i don't know how to tell it but i felt stupefied like as much as miserable i felt i could do nothing perhaps i shouldn't have had power of mind to drown myself if i'd made up my resolution besides it's a dreadful wickedness i always liked reading and before i was fairly beaten out used to read at home at shop windows and at bookstalls as long as i dared but latterly when i was starving i couldn't fix my mind to read anyhow one night i met a warsaw friend and he took me to his inn and gave me a good beefsteak supper and some beer and he got me a nice clean bed in the house in the morning he gave me what did me most good of all a good new shirt and five shillings i got work two days after and kept it nearly five years with four masters and married and saved twelve pounds we had no family to live and my poor wife died in the cholera in eighteen forty nine and i buried her decently thank god for she was a good soul when i thought the cholera was gone i had it myself and was ill long and lost my work and had the same sufferings as before and was without soles to my shoes or a shirt to my back till a gentleman i'd worked for lent me one pound and then i went into this trade and pulled up a little in six weeks i paid fifteen shillings of my debt and had my own time for the remaining five shillings now i get an odd job with my master sometimes and at others sell my collars and chains and key-rings and locks and such like i'm ashamed of the dog-collar locks i can buy them at twopence a dozen or one or sixpence a gross they're sad rubbish in two or three weeks sometimes the wire hasp is worn through just by the rattling of the collar and the lock falls off i make now one way and another about ten shillings a week my lodgings two shillings a week for a bedroom it's a closet though for my furniture all went god's good and i'll see better days yet i have sure promise of regular work and then i can earn thirty shillings to forty shillings i do best with my collars about the docks i'm sure i don't know why i am told that each of the street sellers of dog collars sell on the average a dozen a week at a medium receipt of twelve shillings note sometimes twenty shillings and sometimes six shillings end note though some will sell three and even four dozen collars in the week any regular dog collar seller will undertake to get a name engraved upon it at one penny a letter the goods are bought at a swag shop or an establishment carried on in the same way the retailer's profit is thirty-five per cent reckoning twelve shillings weekly taken by twelve men we find three hundred and seventy-four pounds expended yearly in the streets in dog collars. End of section sixty-one.